Bedrosian throws to Sandberg, and the pitch is grounded to second base. Thompson has it, throws to first. It's over. 27 years of waiting have pumped on in. The Giants have won the pennant. All right, Brad. We have another guest. This is like two guests in the last like four weeks. Hey, look at we us. Had, we had Darren from KMBR a few weeks ago, and that was a really fun interview. But this is the first time that you and I have actually interviewed someone together. We got to talk to Ash Day, who writes for a website called Bat Flips and Nerds. And the interesting thing about this website is it is all British writers and none of them, as far as I know, live in the United States. Uh, at least we know that Ash does not live in the United States. So it's like a very interesting take on baseball from watching it from afar. And so you had actually created the uh, relationship and we got to talk to Ash. And uh, yeah, that was that was pretty fun. And it, I think I feel like we're, we're kind of becoming a, a little bit of a. Uh, more of just you and I talking. Let's just say that. <laughs> but pe- I, but people don't want that. Is that what you're saying? They don't want to just <laughs> no, hear you I, and I for an hour. I, I think I actually I think they love it. But <laughs> you throw a little bit of a variety, a little a little spice into the show, right? Every once in a while, oh, we're gonna do this thing. We're gonna experiment. It makes it fun. Absolutely. And especially this interview, really cool because you get that perspective of, hey, here's a group of people that didn't grow up with the sport so much in their country, but you came to, you know, find out, you come to find out how Ash really got into baseball. And it kind of mirrors my soccer story a little bit because I'm not, I didn't grow up, you know, in England, I didn't grow up in any country that puts soccer as their number one sport. I played it a little bit when I was a kid. I didn't like it because I played fullback in front of the goalie. I just stood there and did nothing. Um, so it wasn't really my thing. It wasn't like playing second base in Little League. Right. So so I did that. And then, you know, as I got older, uh, you know, around the time I was in college or so, around 94, all of a sudden I discovered soccer fully and I said this is a fantastic sport to watch, got really into it, figured out the rules and everything from watching it and just dove head first in. And now I'm, I'm a FIFA nut. So when you, when you listen to this interview, I mean, it's just, it's awesome. All, all the things that he brings up and it's just, uh, such a fun, such a fun guy. Um, Love to have him, you know, when, when, as soon as we can, if he comes to the United States again and goes to a Giants game, I'm going to be there. I'm going to try to figure out when he's going to be there and we'll get down there and we'll be able to enjoy a game together. So that's going to be a lot of fun. No, that will be a lot of fun. Okay. So before we get to that interview, we're going to play it in the beginning of the show and then you and I will come back and talk about the news and talk about the opening of spring training and all that stuff. Before we get to Ash... Do you have an adult beverage? I do. And it is for adults only uh, because it is a beer uh, that is considered of the barley wine uh, variety. I'm a big Mm. barley wine fan. This is that time of year for barley wines. Um, This one has been um, 
on my, let's say, on on my menu for years and years. I used to go up to Chico. I lived there for a little bit, uh, Chico, California, and uh, I, I used to live two streets away from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. We'd walk over there and, and get the smells of the brewery. But uh, Bigfoot, this is uh, February is Bigfoot season. Uh, it is a barley wine style ale, 9.6%. This is big. It is a big beer. I put it, you put it in a snifter. That's kind of how you want to drink these beers. Savor it, save it for special occasions. You can actually cellar these. Uh, when, when my, when my youngest was born, Audrey, uh, she, this was 2008. Um, I had a 1998 Bigfoot, Hmm. um, just sitting in the back of the fridge for years and years. I was cellaring it. I broke it out as a celebration. It was a 10 year old barley wine. They age so well. Um, and this one's just full of like, uh, candy dates you can taste and plum and a little bit of sweetness and big, big hops. And, and it's just such a fantastic beer. So it's a sipper special occasion. And our podcast is always a special occasion. So I broke this one out. That sounds amazing. So what I did is I asked my wife as she was on the elliptical, kind of getting some exercise going, and I was like, my beloved wife, can you do me a favor? And she's like, (laughs) she just kind of gives me the eyes. And I was like, I have this podcast in 30 minutes. Can you make me your fantastic uh, mojito, but she makes it, uh, without any sort of, uh, sugar. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I begged and pleaded and, and, and she said, yes, she would do it right before we jumped on the air. So I'm drinking a, not a, it's not a real mojito cause we're pulling ingredients out, but low carb, I guess you would say. So it's yeah. vodka, it's, uh, sparkling water. It is mint leaves. It is ice and it is lemon juice. So it is very refreshing and it is very tasty, though people who normally drink mojitos, I don't think would necessarily enjoy this one as much as I am. But oh, who needs uh, and, them? And, and so we have it in these like little um, little glass containers, like with the like almost like small jars. Oh, nice. And then uh, with a nice um, you could probably hear this if I. Like that's the straw. Like it's this like little aluminum straw. So. Oh yeah, the environmentally friendly straw. We have a bunch of those. Those things. Yes, are great. I do the dishes. Don't like them so much, but you know they're <laughs> they're good for the environment. But I always lose them from the top rack, and then I open up the dishwasher, and they're in the bottom, and it's a kind of a mess. But and, okay, and can, that, I, can I quickly ask yeah. you about? You just made a comment saying yeah. that you do the dishes. I do. Do you do them every single night? Uh, you know, and, uh, and, and being the pandemic and everything else, there are many days I do them twice a day, uh, yes. just because we're home we're, and we don't go out much anyway. So, so non-pandemic, we, we eat a lot of meals at home. My wife yes. is a fantastic cook. I told you right before the podcast, she came in here and quickly said, Oh, before you start, I got to grab a cookbook. Yeah. So <laughs> we have this big rack of cookbooks over here. Uh, very healthy. She loves to cook lots of healthy, clean, 
whole foods. Um, and so, yes, I do the dish. That's her part. I take the, the part of doing the dishes, which I love because then I could put on the headphones. Uh, I could listen to Howard Stern. I can, uh, you know, crank up music. I could do whatever. And that's kind of my therapeutic time to do the dishes. Uh, that's like my zone right there. Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting because I also do the dishes for the majority, though I I will say when my stepkids are here, one of the boys, uh, the twins, I I think they kind of trade off that they have to do the dishes during uh, during the day. So like one of their chores, like right right after lunch, they'll do the small number of dishes. But what what actually is their chore is to empty the dishwasher because I would have ran the dishwasher that evening. So they kind of go in. You know, then they then they um, put the dishes away and put the few that that they have created, by the way. So it's not like, <laughs> of course, you know, um, and so and so then, yeah. And then I do them every evening. So I thought it was, it was kind of interesting that we both are the majority dishwashers in the house. But again, like my wife, three, you know, if, if we cook, we probably cook, I would say five days out of the week. And then two of those days we'll either have leftovers or we'll get a takeout thing. She probably cooks four nights a week. I'll cook once. So it's a little bit of a trade off because she hates doing dishes with a passion. And like you, I just throw on a podcast and I just do dishes and it's completely fine. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I barbecue, um, I don't know, once a week. And then when the weather gets good, sometimes two or three times a week. And, uh, like this past Saturday night, I did some cast iron steaks in the house. Um, but I still do dishes because again, it's not, I mean, she, you know, she does every other meal. So that's the least I could do is some dishes, but yeah, we're in the same boat. The 14 year old empties the dishwasher. I don't like them to do dishes. I don't, because I, I'm very particular. I don't want the dishwasher gummed up with, oops, I forgot to take all the butter off of this (laughs) knife and now it's in the pipes and everything else. So yeah, I just, I'm very particular about that, but, but emptying the dishwasher. Absolutely. Please do it. Don't break anything, but you know, do your thing. So (laughs) exactly. All right. So, um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to play the interview that Brad and I did over the weekend with Ash. We've also recorded it and Brad has very nicely put it together in a video package. We're going to post that also to YouTube. So uh, if you're listening to um, to us on YouTube, because we also put this show on YouTube, there's another video that you can watch, which is actually the, the video interview with Brad, myself, and Ash. So if you don't know what we look like, you can see what we look like. Um, but Brad did some, you know, really cool little graphical things that make it look not just like a zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, uh, I've been editing video for, what did I tell you? 24 years now yeah. at this point. So it, it, it is fun. It actually, it's one of those things. A lot of people say, well, I do my job. I go home and I don't want to do my job. Well, I do my job. I edit all day long. Uh, and, and then when I'm not doing anything, I like to edit. It's just mm-hmm. what I like to do. I like to create. And, and it's, so it's fun. It's fun for me. So, uh, Yeah. <laughs> Sounds weird, but I like it. No, but I mean, it, it looked really good. And uh, I'm glad that you took that over for me because the version that I was going to do was going to be like the most plain version you could ever see. And then I was like, oh, yeah, like he does this. Like, what am I doing <laughs> doing this video? Um, but just one thing about the audio is we, we recorded it through Zoom. Zoom's 
video functionality is very cool. It's very fun. Anybody can do it. But their audio output isn't as good as what Brad and I use when we're talking uh, normally on the podcast. So there may be a small volume thing. I tried to fix it as as good as possible, but you may you'll you'll notice a little bit that you know that that we used a different source for the audio. So I'm gonna play this. Gonna bring on Ash, and then when that interview is done, Brad and I will come back and talk some news. I want to welcome Ash Day to the Thompson and Clark podcast. Ash is the San Francisco Giants writer for Bat Flips and Nerds, a British take on baseball, which you can find at batflipsandnerds.com. How you doing, Ash? Very well. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you for having me on. So uh, can you explain to me or to the audience the origin story of you covering the Giants? I know I've, uh, I, you saw, uh, I saw you previously had a blog called England Tribe, which was about the Cleveland Indians. And then there's a couple of posts uh, as you get to the late in the blog where you start talking about uh, going to a Giants game. And then now you're covering the Giants for bat flips and nerds. Can you tell us the origin story of kind of your uh, baseball fandom all the way through you now writing about the Giants for uh, a website? Yeah, I can do. Uh, So I kind of, ever since I was a little kid, I've kind of always been into all things America, whether it's American films, TVs, food, whatever. Uh, I just kind of naturally was drawn to American things. Uh, And by the time I was at school, sports started to really take over big time. Um, I've always been a football fan, soccer here in here in the UK. Um, But yeah, as as a school kid into my teens, I started to get into basketball quite a lot. Um, And then I picked up NFL and then naturally baseball was going to be the next one. Um, And over the years, baseball has become my number one sport. Uh, It rivals my fandom for soccer, certainly. Um, so yeah, when I was a teenager, I picked the Cleveland Cavaliers as my basketball team. So when I got into NFL and MLB, I wanted to stick with one city, never been to Cleveland, but I was like, you know, they're not the obvious choice. They're not the (laughs) Yankees. They're not the Lakers. I wanted something a bit more personal. Um, and so my fandom for the Indians started around 2007 when they made that postseason run and they knocked out the Yankees and the ALDS and that was cool. I was like, oh, this must happen every year. The playoffs are great. <laughs> Little did I know that wasn't true. Um, and I always, when I first started getting into baseball, like when I get into things, I absorb information like a sponge. I just want to know everything about it. Um, and I did history at university. So the history of baseball is fascinating to me. I think it's one of few sports that really celebrates their history properly. Something I'm a bit jealous about, like soccer doesn't do their history as well. Mm. Like in England, people think like football has only been around for like the last like 20, 30 years since the (laughs) Premier League started. Everybody forgets there's all this history before the Premier League. So baseball, I was always like in love with the history. Um, And when I was becoming a fan of the Indians, I couldn't help but be tempted and strayed by all the other clubs, like the amazing history the Yankees have, the amazing history the Red Sox had, especially around those years when the Red Sox finally broke the curse. And I always had my eye on other teams. I was an Indians fan, but I would happily buy gear from other teams, including the Giants. And over the years, I was like, no, 
the Indians are my main team. I'll follow them. But I was always looking at other teams and always happy to watch other games. I wasn't like a diehard Indians fan, I would say. Um, and that's always, I think it's always been the case that I was never quite truly comfortable as an Indians fan. Um, I don't know why. I mean, I had no connection to Cleveland. I literally just picked them off a whim when I was like 14. I didn't really know what I was doing. And over the years... <laughs> They have had a pretty good club. The 2016 World Series was amazing. That was great. That was so much fun to enjoy. But still, I was always like on the edge of like, do I, do I like other teams? Do I really want to, do I really want to support someone else? And that's kind of like sacrilege, especially in the UK. Like you do not change your sport teams. Like your, your, the sport team is for life especially like with my football team, Arsenal, like I could never do that. I could never change it. You're kind of born into that though, right? With yes. soccer, football, you're born into your family, your location, right? Where you live, that yeah. is very big for what soccer slash football team that you yes. become a fan of. Yeah. Very much so. And it's usually quite family orientated as well. In my American sports, that wasn't the case. I had no connection to any of my American sports apart from the fact I chose them. Um, me and my wife went to New York in 2017 for a honeymoon. We saw a Yankees-Tigers game. That was amazing. First time I've ever seen live baseball. It was brilliant. But I still, you know, I was there in an Indian's hat repping my, my team, should I say. Um, and I wasn't going to change. And then we went to San Francisco in 2019 and I literally knew the minute I got off the plane, I was like, I love this place. This <laughs> is like, this is a bit of me. Uh, and I just, and I'd been following the Giants probably since about 2012, I started to really start buying Giants gear on the sly. Like the, I would call them like my national league team or, you know, they're, they're like my second team if you could have such a thing. That's funny and it was really the Indians were... Brad's American League team for a little while there. Uh, and a lot of family from the Cleveland area. So growing up, that was kind of my thing. And then the movie Major League, mm. yeah. I was 16 years old when that came out. And that cemented my, <laughs> I love these losers. I love this American League team. These guys are, <laughs> uh, they portrayed it on the, on, the, on the screen, pretty much how they were in real life at that time. So yeah. I was like, yeah, you can't, can't go wrong with like in a losing team, right? Easy I mean, to root for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah so I just uh, I kind of I think it was really easy like when the Giants made the World Series in 2012 they played the Tigers and I hated the Tigers I was like <laughs> any AL Central team I was like I don't like them and so 2014 they played the Royals I'm like well of course I'm not supporting the Royals so I'm going to root for the Giants right. um, and then my brother went to San Francisco the next year and I was like look please just pick me up something please bring me back some gear because even five six years ago it was still kind of difficult to get proper baseball gear in the UK so he brought me back a Giants hat he brought me back a pennant like a magazine and a pack of cards and I was like this is great like I just eat all this up I, I yeah. absorb all of this so we landed in San Francisco in 2019 and I'd already booked tickets to a game. Couldn't wait to go to Oracle park. It was like a bucket list park. It's so beautiful. And I'm sat on the first baseline with my wife and I'm just like, this is just right. Like this. And everybody was so friendly, like could not have been nicer. Um, like all the ushers, other fans, the whole, the whole week we spent in San Francisco. Well, nearly two weeks um, was just incredible. We stayed with a couple in an Airbnb um, in Bernal Heights, 
and it was like we got that real neighborhood experience that whole time we were there and i was like this is just this is kind of where i want to do like i really felt this affinity for the giants and i was still writing for the uh for batflips and nerds the british baseball website and podcast um about the indians because they i had a long blog i've had a blog running for years on all sorts of baseball stuff but mostly the indians but i knew i needed to make a decision i couldn't hide the giants in the closet any longer (laughs) (laughs) i had to make a decision so last year i was like i barely watched any indians games in the 2020 season i was still keeping in touch to do my writing duties and but i was watching giants games like all week um I was buying loads of Giants cards. I was sneakily like looking on eBay for Giants jerseys. I already had like a bunch of hats anyway. So it was just a natural transition to make that switch. I was like, this is just right for me. And when I, when I kind of came out online as like, I'm going to be a Giants fan. Sorry, Indians. Like we had a good run and I got so much flag on Twitter, like, yeah. especially from other UK fans. Cause it was that whole attitude where it's like, you don't change your sports teams. Like, you, you don't do this. And I was like, I know I'm one of those people that's like, you don't do that. But I had to do what was right for me. And yeah, I haven't looked back. I've absolutely loved it. That's an awesome story. Now, uh, so speaking of, so I'm a Chelsea supporter. Um, I just became a Chelsea supporter probably 10 years ago. Uh, I've always been uh, a soccer fan uh, growing up. Uh, my grandparents of uh, my mom's side are from Spain. So growing up, it was always kind of Real Madrid uh, and and Spanish national soccer is, and that's my team, the Spanish yeah. national soccer team. I, I just, I, f- I follow every match, every, you know, when they're on the World Cup, I just go crazy. Uh, so now being a Chelsea fan and Real Madrid fan, would I survive in England? I think you'd get by. Yeah, <laughs> I think you'd get by. Okay. okay so, <laughs> so two different countries are okay. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like football has grown. So it's always been the global game anyway, yeah. but technology has made the world so much smaller. You can follow teams in other countries easier than ever before. So it's quite common for people to have, like I have an English team, a Spanish team, a French team, a German team. I, I don't personally, like I, I am fond of other clubs in other countries, but it's very, it's not uncommon to see fans who are like, I have Barcelona, I have Real Madrid, I have, you know, other teams in other, other countries. If when I went to Germany with a buddy of mine, um, about two, three years ago, we did a whole weekend of Bundesliga games. Oh, wow. We went to three, three Bundesliga games in like three days. Um, it was amazing experience on the last day we went to see Borussia much and glad back at home. And I just got like wrapped up in the atmosphere and I bought a shirt. It was like 90 euros. And I was like, don't tell my wife. <laughs> oh, we, know, we know, we know about the, don't tell my wife. I have a couple of websites that I go to. They're not real jerseys, but <laughs> I can spend about 25 us dollars to get a, a Los Angeles Rams football Jersey. And I don't have to worry about the guilt. I don't. That's I, pretty I good. Have to yeah. Explain it away, so it's all good. <laughs> just don't wash it. That's the key. Yeah. <laughs> just don't put it in the washer. <laughs> I'm terrible for football shirts. I have like over thirty football oh. shirts for mostly Arsenal ones, but I have ones from other clubs and especially international teams. And um, when I play with my 
friends in a like a local Sixers side football league. Every week I turn out in a different shirt and they're like, you've got another shirt? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I just bought another one. So you mentioned going to now Oracle Park in 2019. Mm-hmm. Now, the Giants in 2019 and 2020 aren't quite the same as they were in uh, 10, 12, and 14. But, you know, that, like you said, great place to watch a game. I can imagine uh, seeing it for the first time is probably awesome, uh, an awesome experience. But last year and this year, the the world has changed. We're dealing with, uh, you know, with a pandemic. But from your perspective or from your point of view, how you cover the Giants on the website, that probably didn't change a whole lot because you're you're watching everything from afar anyways, right? Very true. Yes. So uh, it's really tough as a UK fan, sometimes with the start times of first pitch for a lot of teams. I am an idiot deciding to choose the Giants as my team, as a West Coast team, being a UK fan. I really should have stayed on the East Coast, but the heart wants what the heart wants. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm pretty, uh, yeah, there's some late late nights for, for those, uh, those 7 p.m. games in San Francisco. They're pretty late here. That's like 2, 3 in the morning. Oh, wow. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very rare I will make one of those night games. I love Sundays. Sundays are like the, the Sunday early first pitch <laughs> is about here in UK. It's about 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Yeah. And on the East Coast, it's 5, 6 p.m. And that's brilliant. You can just put it on in the evening and you can watch all the way through. Well, and then uh, during the pandemic, last year our team the giants did not travel to the east coast Mm. so at least you're going to get some of those this coming season the giants Mets. you know you'll have a uh that's 10 a.m for us so we get up on a sunday morning just finish eating breakfast with the kids and oh the giants game's on okay let's put that on so we get really early so you'll you'll have a little bit nicer on sundays now yeah that'll be much nicer i remember uh it was it was like a wednesday in San Francisco and we were getting ready to leave to go into the city and explore and I just thought my my wife was in the shower or something so I put the TV on in our Airbnb and I connected my MLB TV account and I was like I'll just see what games are on it was like 10am in the morning I was like hold on the Indians are playing the Tigers and it's 10am in the morning I was like what is this this is so alien to me because it's usually like midnight for me I found it very strange but I loved it it was great well, and then when we go play the Nationals um, in Washington, D.C., uh, sometimes we have a 4th of July game and we'll be there uh, and they'll play at 8 a.m. our time wow. because they like to clear out uh, Secret Service, military, yeah. everybody else so that they're free for the fireworks and the festivities later that day. So that's always a weird one. I go out for a run or something. I come back in the games in the second inning. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> That would be really strange, like yeah. breakfast baseball. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So now you have, so you, you mentioned your MLB.tv account. Mm. Is, is that how you get your games? Uh, do you it get is radio yeah, as that, well? You do get radio on okay. there too, which is quite good for if I'm like washing up and I can't see the screen, I'll put the radio on. Um, and with the Giants broadcasters, you always, whether it's TV or radio, you always get the best. So I'm very, again, yeah. very happy to be on that team. <laughs> I get the best quality <laughs> service. Uh, but yeah, a lot of fans in the UK um, will buy the MLB TV 
subscription package we're really lucky as well we don't get any of the blackout restrictions right. you can watch every single game all playoffs all world series um the whole blackout restrictions thing like local tv network stuff has always boggled me in america yeah. like how you guys can't watch certain games because you live in a certain area well brad and, brad and i were talking about this on one of yeah. our recent podcasts which was when we were kids they would only televise the road games and they wouldn't televise the home games because the mentality is that, well, if we televise the home games, then we won't sell as many tickets to the home yeah. games. So they always blocked them out. And it really wasn't until the 90s where we could actually pay to watch the home games. Mm -hmm. And then I, th I believe it was sometime in the mid to late 90s, maybe, uh, where actually, no, it may, be, may, may have been right around the, the Barry Bonds time frame where yeah. you could actually see, thanks to these uh, regional sports networks, you could actually see the home games. But yeah, for, for like half of our baseball fandom, uh, as we were growing up, we could only watch road games. Like we never right. saw a game at Candlestick <laughs> Park. It's very, unless you went there. Yeah. Unless you went there. <laughs> it's quite similar here. Um, the Premier League and Football League have a very similar attitude towards the traditional Saturday 3 p.m. kickoffs. They, until the pandemic, they were not televised ever. And the whole idea was that if they start showing the Saturday 3 o'clock kickoffs, which is young, you know, your traditional football match time, yeah. um, they would be like, no one will go to the games. They'll watch them on TV. Um, I don't think that ever holds any water. I think people who like live sport will go and watch live sport. Yeah. But uh, the pandemic has made one thing good, I suppose, a silver lining. We can watch it every game whenever we want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's true. And, and I just want to thank the Giants brass and the San Francisco Giants, uh, Peter McGowan and that whole crew for purchasing and taking over the Giants in 93 and then eventually moving into this nice ballpark. Because if Ash would have come in 2019... <laughs> to San Francisco and gone to Candlestick Park, he may not be a Giants fan. He may have just like just got back on the plane and went back home. He might have been a Giants fan. He might have gone over to Oakland and said, well, this isn't, I mean, Oakland's not a great stadium either, but it was better than Candlestick and Wins. Yeah. So, yeah. It's yeah. funny because uh, like having been a, this is it, the last 10, 12 years of my baseball fandom, I've called myself an Indians fan, but I've always mostly primarily been a baseball fan. So the, especially baseball history. So I've always been familiar with Candlestick Park and the, the plague of the wind and the temperature. <laughs> and I read all about how they tried to install like warm uh, under, under seat heating and the pipes froze and <laughs> broke. And yeah, I just find it all absolutely fascinating. So yeah, it's been when I made the switch to be like, I'm going to be a Giants fan. This is going to go fully. I'm going hundred percent with this. I, uh, I already knew uh, quite a lot, but it's, it's also, what's also really nice is I'm learning new stuff all the time. And I think I always will like they'll always. And I think you could say that for any sport, any fan of any sport, yeah. you're always picking up new information. There's always new stuff to learn, but, um, yeah, from I'm well aware of the, the troubles of candlestick. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you give us an idea of what baseball fandom is like where you live? Like, it, I, I can't imagine that it's like, you know, just this giant uh, fan base. But like, who are some of the favorite players? Like, if you're at a walk 
down the street and maybe out of the blue, someone's wearing a baseball shirt or baseball jersey. Like whose jersey or shirt are that would they be wearing? That's a good question. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anyone wearing a jersey on in on like a random jersey sighting on a street. You do see hats kind mm. of quite often. Um, but there's a there's a horrible moment with the hat situation. Now, if you see anyone in Britain in a Yankees hat or a Dodgers hat, you can't just go up to them and be like, "Did you see the game last night? Like, what do you think about such such picture?" They will just be like, "What are you talking about? Like, it's just New York, or it's just right. a, they don't know yeah. the sport." Got it. But if you see someone in an A's hat or a Giants hat or you know any any other team. I think Red Sox now have gone over to that territory of like fashion hats here. Wow. But any, any other team that you're like uh, a blue Jays hat, for example, I see quite a few blue Jays hats and you could talk to them and odds are they would be a baseball fan and you could talk to them about it. And that's really good. I, I've seen, a, I walked once in the city I live in, in Bath and I saw a guy in a giant's hat. And he saw me in a giant's hat and we double take like, oh, oh. And he was actually, he was American. And he said, are you from the Bay? And I was like, no, I'm an imposter. Like I'm not. <laughs> I've been once. It was brilliant. I would love to go back. He was like, oh yeah, you should go back. And then as he walked away, he was like, go giants. And I was like, that was so American. Like no one would ever do that here in Britain. <laughs> no, but we would, we do it here all the time. Yeah, I know. It's and great. I, I live in Reno, Nevada, which is Nevada is right next to California. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm about a four hour drive from San Francisco, but this, we don't have any local sports teams. We do yeah. have the AAA team for the Arizona Diamondbacks here. Uh, so we do get to see a lot of great players. Uh, the Sacramento River Cats from the Giants come here all the time. Yeah. So we do get to see that, but this is Giants, A's, 49ers, Raiders, Warriors territory. It is like the little Bay area. I mean, there are That's hardly cool. any other fans of any other teams here. So yeah, which hurts Brad fun. a little bit because he's a Rams fan. Yeah. There's three of us. I think there's three Rams fans here. <laughs> now the that best, brings, Oh, go ahead. I'm just going back to Garrett's question about yeah. like seeing jerseys. It's very rare on the streets. It usually is like Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, but the best time I have seen, the best time was the London series in 2019 oh, yeah. when the Red Sox and Yankees came over to play two games over a weekend. And walking around London that weekend was amazing because you would see teams and jerseys and hats from every team. And that was brilliant. Like you saw every single team represented, nearly everybody. Um, and that was a great experience. And you that's where you start to see the Mike Trout jerseys turn up yeah. and you get to see... Yeah, it just just everything. That was when Mookie Betts was still on the Red Sox. You saw a lot of lot of Betts jerseys. Now, is it hard to get gear, or is that getting easier to get like a it's, jersey and a hat? It's getting much easier. Uh, like Fanatics are uh, they have an international branch, an international site, and you can basically get. I have found personally, I can get anything I really want. If, if I can, if I'm willing to pay for it, yeah. <laughs> I can get nearly everything you, you want. Um, it's, it's the couple of times I've been to the States is like a kid in the candy shop. I'm like, just like walking in the shop and I'm marveling <laughs> at all the different options. So we're, we're limited here, but I would say compared to what it was like when I was like 16, it's just, you know, it's such a difference. It's pretty easy to get stuff now. So let's talk about this upcoming season. Uh, the Dodgers 
sadly won the World Series last year. The Padres are making so many moves. They just signed Fernando Tatis, uh, Tatis to this giant contract. And the Giants are kind of sitting here between the top of the mountain teams like the Dodgers and the Padres and above the other teams, you know, the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. And they're kind of sitting right there in the middle. Do you expect them to compete? Do you think they're going to be a little frisky after last year's, you know, 60 game sprint where maybe they were able to use some strategies to uh, to help them out uh, in a shorter season? But what is your expectation for the team this year? I think I think it's going to I think we're realistically asking a lot to go above the Dodgers and the Padres with all the weapons they've amassed. Uh, they just they've just spent so much more than everybody else. They've just got so much talent. Having said that, last year, even though it was that short sixty game season, we I felt we matched up pretty well against the Dodgers. Like certainly didn't get like overwhelmed. And even up to the t- towards the end of the season, we weren't doing too bad with the Padres. There was that horrible end of season series, which ended the playoff chase. But I think. I, don't, I think the way Gabe Kapler and the coaches have the team set up and what the way Farhan Zaidi has built the roster, like I think I've seen some of like the Pocota projections and the Fangraph projections, and I do feel like everyone's maybe underestimating the Giants a bit. I don't think we're going to win the division. Like I, it, I, I just think the Dodgers and the Padres are going to be too powerful. But I, I do think... I just want to see the Giants give them a hard time. I, I don't want I don't want them walking away with the division. I, I want every game to feel like a a battle, and I think that's what they're going for this year. I think they know, you know, World Series is going to be pretty damn hard. Playoffs is going to be the target, but that's going to be really difficult. But let's just give them a good fight. Like let's keep it interesting. If if we're still in in reach in. September with a wild card, then that that's all I can ask for. I want a interesting baseball deep into the season. Well, and the way they're they're playing this out right now, and the way the media is playing this out right now, it's if we were are to sneak into the playoffs and get that wild card, that second wild card spot behind the Padres or the Dodgers, whoever wins that division uh, or our division, then we're basically battling with the Braves and the Mets, kind of for that other mm-hmm. spot and those are some some very tough teams too so it's yeah. I, we, gosh we can win 90 games we can win 85 games 87 and not really sniff the playoffs so it's going to be a weird season i think yeah it will be so um your coverage uh, of the team like if people go to batflipsandnerds.com like what kind of coverage uh, would they see are you heavy 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 into analytics are you more of a conversational writer like what is your style when it comes to writing about the team so my style is more it's a mix of like conversationalist profile pieces um, as well as using a bit of analytics I'm not heavy on analytics it's not my forte as such um, but the website as a whole does use a lot of analytics. Um, Russell Eason, uh, he's one of the team. 
Um, he has done conferences with Sabre um, and he's big oh, wow. into his analytics. Um, so he's our resident nerd in the Batflips and Nerds family. Um, but yeah, the website is mostly heavily on the podcast. They, they do an excellent podcast. Um, and then there's a team of writers that do content for, for the, for the writing side of things. Um, there are lots of kind of guest writers and, and casual fans who will write pieces on their chosen team. Um, I try and do more regular things. Um, I'll focus primarily on the giants, but I've done pieces on, uh, Joe DiMaggio. I've done pieces on Ken Griffey Jr. I've done some profile Ooh. stuff on historical players like Larry Doby. Um, so I do a bit of everything, but, um, over the course of a season, I will focus mostly on the giants. Um, I'll weigh in on key decisions, key acquisitions, trades, that sort of thing. And then as the season starts, because the games are very late for us, um, it's not so much like game by game reporting. It is like what happened over the course of this week? What are the trends we're looking at? Which way are the players going? Who's been performing particularly well over a certain stretch? That was something I had to adjust to when I first got into baseball because it's such a grind over such a long season. You can't be very, I have found anyway, you can't be too reactionary over one or two results. Unlike football, where if your team loses like 2-0 and you play once a week, that sits with you and you, and you dwell on it. Whereas in baseball, it's like, oh, well, they lost 3-2 last night. Well, they play again today and then they play again tomorrow. And over the course of a series, you're looking at things over courses of series and weeks rather than days. Um, so, yeah, I, I look at the, I try and look at the longer game, the, the, the big picture as such. Brad, I'll let you get in the last question, but I wanted to, the reason why I asked that question is because uh, Ash is a self-professed favorite writer uh, is is Grant Brisby and Grant has a very unique style, right? Like he, he writes about baseball and the Giants. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody else write about sports Uh, and he covers them in a very specific way. And so I was wondering, it being that, Grant is your favorite writer. Do you feel like uh, that you've taken anything from his style or that just naturally, because I imagine you read everything that he writes, it's sort of natural to like have a certain sense of humor. Like, it, it, did, is he influential to your style in any way? I would love to say yes. <laughs> like, I think that's it. He is hands down my favorite writer. And I think he does such a wonderful job of bringing in that humor, making it more personable. You're not just getting data, data, data. You're getting, you're getting that. Like he, he's very good with his statistical analysis and, and bringing in the real facts to back up what he's saying, but he does it in just such a way that makes it so accessible. And yes, I, I do read everything he writes. My athletic subscription is probably based solely on on his writing <laughs> that's, <laughs> they do, that's I mean, why I, they hired him yeah yeah they, they have an amazing stable of writers on that website andrew bagley does amazing giants content of course but yeah grant is my is my guy <laughs> 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 and i wish yeah it, it would be lovely to say he influences some of my writing I, I don't feel i'm up to that level <laughs> but i if i can put a bit of humor in and and make pieces more personable that's probably a result of having read him for so long um i was reading him when he was at mccovey chronicles mm-hmm. um you know when i was still a closet giants fan <laughs> um yeah very much he, he i would love to say he's an influence of mine um if if not just me reading him rather than trying to emulate him 
Now, do you think going forward, say 10 years from now, do you see the sport of baseball booming in your country as time goes on? Do you see outlets for that? Um, One example might be, I know, and and I've only heard this, I've never been to England myself. I plan to go at some point. Uh, but I know that there are, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, bars where you can go. If you're a Chelsea fan, you go to a bar, a Chelsea bar to watch the games. Is there anything like that in England for baseball or anything growing that way? So there is, yeah. Um, nothing, unfortunately, near where I live, but in London and up north, um, like around Manchester and Nottingham and Liverpool, um, there are certain places where they will have MLB weekend. Like Basically, it revolves mostly around like a Sunday evening. They'll, they'll watch the Sunday game and stay until late into the Sunday night because that's when the, the games are more accessible for us. Um, there is a place in London, I'm completely forgetting on the name, but it has like a batting cage as well as a bar wow. next to that's it. That's cool. Um, and that's amazing. Like that's that's a place to visit every time you go to the capital. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very funny. So the NFL have done an amazing job in the last 10, 15 years of marketing here. They have the Wembley games every year at Wembley Stadium and Twickenham the rugby stadium and now the new Spurs stadium hosts an NFL game every, every winter here. Um, baseball, I would hope would, I mean, I, they're definitely trying to grow it internationally. The London series a couple of years ago was the first big step and it was, a, I felt it was a huge success. Both games sold out. The prices for the tickets were not cheap as well. Mm. Um, they've now changed the handle from MLB London to MLB Europe so I think they're very keen to grow it in Germany and France and so on and into Spain as well um, I think there is a there is definitely a European and British baseball community it is still quite small at the moment in comparison to like let's say American football like NFL and basketball but it is growing. It's definitely growing. I think give it 10 years and it will be, it, it might not be substantial in the way the NFL fanship is here, but it's, it's, it's on the up. Um, if anything, my having delved more into writing f- as part of a team for, for a British specific website, rather than just keeping my own blog or writing for right, uh, places in the States, I have noticed now there is definitely more of a community um, over the last few years and it is growing. Definitely. That's good. No, that's, uh, that's what I mean. Obviously we think it's the greatest sport in the world. Uh, we grew up with it and that's a huge difference between, uh, somewhere else in here. Uh, you know, Garrett's father was a baseball coach. Uh, my dad coached me in little league baseball growing up. Uh, my grandparents had tickets to, uh, uh, season tickets to candlestick park. Uh, my other grandfather would sit in his garage with his giants jacket and hat and listen to the games. It's just, it was there. I I mean, that's, you didn't have a choice, but to be a baseball and Giants fan growing up in my house, I know Garrett the same. There's a, there's Uh, a romanticism around the sport that we grew up with that just makes us, you know, think about our youth and think about our childhood and think about players of the past just because of the way that, you know, we grew up with it. I think that romanticism is a massive part of the appeal for me as a, as a, a British fan who has this like weird attachment to all things America, there is the romanticism is a massive appeal 
of the whole sport to me. Uh, and especially with the way that the history of the sport is romanticized and, you know, everybody knows who Babe Ruth is and, and Willie Mays and, and Jackie Robinson and like all these legends. And you just like, there's very few sports, especially here that does the same. They don't do as good a job to be honest, of, of, of marketing the history and, and the romance side of it. Like I grew up watching like the Sandlot and rookie of the year. And these films were just on like the Disney channel or whatever. <laughs> like when I was a kid and no one bat an eye, but I was like glued to the screen. Like, this is amazing. And like when I was very young, I was about seven or eight. My brother came back from a, uh, he was traveling in New York and he brought me back a Ken Griffey junior glove and a Yankees hat. Well, luckily the Yankees hat didn't stay on my head permanently, <laughs> but the glove did. The glove really had an impact on me because I'd only seen like gloves and balls on TV and films like the Sandlot. And now I had one and I had like no idea what to do with it. I was like, this is on the wrong hand. Like I'm right-handed. Why don't I put it on this hand? And they were like, I don't think that's how it works. That you catch with your left and you throw with your right. I was like, oh, I'm not so sure. I, I figured it out <laughs> eventually. That's so, fantastic. Uh, so really appreciate you hanging out with us here and uh, would love to do it again during the season. Now we will yeah. pick a time to do it where they're not playing and, 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 and so that, you know, you don't have to be interrupted on, on a day that you actually get to watch a game at a decent time. But uh, yeah, I would love to kind of uh, follow this team. You know, Brad and I do this podcast every week, but I, I, we, we don't have like that one person who we kind of check in with. Every, uh, you know, every so often. And it'd be great to have you back on a few times this year, because I think it'd be fun to get your point of view on how things uh, how things are going for how you see it. I would love that. Yeah, this has been a blast. I'd love to check in again with you guys. That'd be great. Now, so before, before we let you go, though, my, my 14 year old <laughs> daughter, she wanted me to ask you. I told you I, I told her what we were going to be doing. She said. <laughs> Now I, I explained garlic fries and she knows garlic fries. Well, yeah. So she said, but does he call them garlic chips? So she wanted to know <laughs> uh, if I make them at home, they would be garlic <laughs> chips. Okay. But uh, yes. in in at Oracle park, we had garlic fries and there my wife, I told, I build it all up. I was like, we're going to the park. Okay. We're going to get hot dogs. That's a staple. That's fine. But we got to get the garlic fries. She was like, garlic fries. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like a big deal in San Francisco. She was like, okay, let's get the garlic fries. And I sat her down, I gave her the garlic fries. And she was like, these are the most amazing things I've ever had. And I was like, I told you, and I hadn't even eaten one yet. And I was like, yeah, let's try. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's true. They are the best, but yeah, in, in England, they're chips. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah. Specifically for these, we'll keep them as fries. Oh, perfect. That's well, what you like to uh, let, let everybody know where they can find you on social media. And, you know, we talked about the website, but if there's a specific piece you want them to check out before the season starts or to get a little bit more information about you, uh, just let it out there. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter uh, at AshDay29. Um, I have all my links to all my articles and everything on there. And I'll be writing all season for Batflips and Nerds at batflipsandnerds.com. Um, they have a Twitter as well. Um, and yeah, I'll be I'll be around, certainly. I've uh, just recently written a piece about who might take Brandon Belt's spot temporarily at first base if he's not healthy enough for opening day. Um, so go and check that out. Um, and I'm going to be looking at some position battles stuff. Um, you know, what, what to look out for as spring training starts in earnest in the next week or so. 
Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on again. And we got we to gotta do this again. I, I really loved your story. Love hearing how your fandom has kind of, you know, your fandom is a lot different from our fandom. And I think there's nice, uh, n- nice things about that when, when it comes to talking about the Giants. So thanks to Ash. And we'll be back with Brad and myself. All right, we're back. Thanks to Ash again. And I think, you know, we mentioned in the interview, we're going to have him back on a few different times throughout the year. I love his perspective. I love the idea of him being able to follow this team like you and I follow this team and just like being so many hours, uh, you know, away from game time. And, you know, he's got to like figure out how to wake up and read what happened and then maybe go back and rewatch the game or whatever it is. Like there's a, there's a dedicatedness to what he does. And uh, I, I really appreciate that hustle. Well, uh, yeah, like you said too, I mean, that's a dedicated fan. If you live in a completely different country and you're following a team, uh, I'm a Chelsea fan uh, for soccer. And sometimes they play at four 30 in the morning on a Saturday or a Sunday. So I'll record the game. I'll get up and I'll watch it. Uh, you know, they're only two hours, but baseball is every day, three hours, you know, two hours, 45 minutes to like four hours sometimes. And he's in a different country. And like he said, you know, he picked a West Coast team and now he's got an eight hour difference instead of the old five hour difference that he used to have with Cleveland, or I think it was a six because yeah. uh, yeah. of the Midwest. Um so you know, he, he added two hours. So those night games are a little bit more tough. So he's watching them sometimes the next day. And you know how it is for you and I, even with kids, uh, sometimes we'll, we'll get into the night games and then all of a sudden, man, I got to go to bed. So I'll get up the next morning and on and pop on MLB TV and watch the rest of the game before I get, you know, spoiled with the score. But hey, it's just such a, such a fun person, such a, uh, you know, dedicated fan and a great writer. I mean, you know, get on, that website check it out um we're going to be going over a little bit of some of his writing today one of the articles he just wrote is uh you know who's who's going to be popping over at first base uh you know while while belt is rehabbing and uh so he wrote about that and really good he had a lot of really good points about it and and i like his writing style too yeah let's actually talk about that right now well i mean this is this is something that we mentioned or he mentioned on the podcast so i wanted to to kind of go through it because there is this question on if Brandon Belt is going to be healthy enough for opening day. Um, but, you know, we're not sure. And I don't imagine even if he is going to be healthy soon that he's going to have a lot of spring training time. And, and there's a, a part of that. So there's uh, just being hurt in of itself. And then all, all all your teammates are playing together and you're learning all these new guys and he's not able to actually get out there right now. So I would imagine that he's probably not going to be healthy for opening day. I, I couldn't say that for sure. But uh, basically, Ash's piece is about who would be the person or the people who replace Belt in that opening day uh, lineup. And he's got several people. Um, one of them is, is Tommy Listella, who the Giants just signed and who we talked about as kind of just this, you know, utility knife for them. Uh, he mentioned Wilmer Flores, who played some first base last year. And I actually prefer him to play first base over any other position. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) And the thing is, is he's just lights out against left-handed pitching. So you have to actually get him in there against lefties. So where does he play? Well, 
Maybe maybe Belt sits sometimes against lefties, and, and Wilmer can play first, so he's there. And then, of course, we have none other than uh, Gerald Demp Posey the third, aka Buster Posey. And so, you know, you read the same article that I did, but but what what do you think about the choice to uh, to to, uh, to to be in there for Belt? I think Ash basically thought that he he, he thought Lestella would get the first reps. Yeah. And, and the one thing I want to say too, uh, on that article, uh, kind of playing off that a little bit, Susan Slusser also did an interview with Gabe Kapler. And in that Kapler was talking about being creative to try to get rough, uh, Flores and Listella some ABs. Mm-hmm. So that's actually another name to throw in there is rough. Uh, rough was one of those guys who, you know, they kind of, they, they re-signed with the, uh, with arbitration. They didn't let him go. Uh, but they also said, you know what, now we got to get him at bats. Yeah. We, we got to get him those ABs, uh, because there's no DH. And that's kind of one of the reasons maybe it was like that safety valve. We can get rough. I mean, the, the giants are packed in the outfield. We know that, um, Ruff is going to get a little bit of playing time in left field. Uh, yeah. But, you know, in, in his six seasons in the United States, 143 games were at first base. 127 were in the outfield. So throw Ruff into the mix, too. But I yes. but I, I do like the Listella and Flores um, uh, combination. Because like you said, against lefties, you're going to see Wilmer in there, Listella. I mean, basically, those guys can get on base. They can drive the ball. Um, they both have very good eyes. And so you can't go wrong with whoever you plug in there. It's going to be a night-by-night night thing. It's it's going to be, a you know, uh, an hour before. Let's see what's going to happen. Uh, let's see who we're going to plug in, who's the starting pitcher. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I like what he had to say. I, I like Listilla and Flores. Ruff is going to be in there every now and then. When you need that extra little pop, he's going to be in there if somebody needs a rest. And then they got to put Listilla, say, over at uh, – uh, third base or second base, and then you need Wilmer Flores somewhere else, or you need to give him a rest. So they've got, I mean, the Giants roster, Zadie has built this thing up to be a juggernaut in terms of um, compatibility and plug and play. Yeah. You can do whatever you, yeah. oh, it's going to be insane. It's, I mean, we're used to that with Bochi, but this is this could be like times 10 with that. So we'll see how this whole thing shakes out. But, but yeah, I, I, I like those picks. And I think I saw that Kapler even today said that he wanted Listella to hit leadoff and have Yastrzemski hit right behind him. And that's yeah. that's you know that that sounds like you know talking about getting on base, good eyes, Listella makes contact, doesn't strike out. Um this this you know as we talked about in the interview with Ash, this isn't a team that we expect to blow the doors off the Dodgers and the Padres. No. But we do expect them to be a little um you know like 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 a little grisly like they're going to fight and they're going to play until the last inning, you know, it's kind of a cliche, but I do expect them to do some things based off of the lineups that they are able to put together where they may be able to eke out some games because of their ability to play uh, smartly and to put lineups in, in in ways that 
you know, may, may, maybe they're a little unconventional, but because of the team that they've put together, like you said, there's just a plug and play. Like, you know, we may see games where like, you know, Darren Ruff starts in the outfield and then all of a sudden he gets moved to a different, you know, maybe he gets moved to first base. He only played 18 innings there last year, but then all of a sudden, you know, by the sixth inning, there's another player in there. And then by the ninth inning, someone's getting pinch hit for, and then there's a defensive replacement. Like not to say that they're going to play 162 games. Like it's the last game of the season. That was kind of how they played it last year though. In that 60 game sprint where, you know, they're, they were playing some of these games cause they, they, they were sort of worth like two and a half games each, right? Every game last yeah. year, or two and a half games each. So I think they had that season where they were able to do those things and not to say that I hope that, you know, Kapler exhausts his roster <laughs> by doing this, you know, in April, but I do think they have the ability to do stuff like that to win games late and to make sure that they get some of these games that they know that they need. Yeah. And that brings up a great point. And when you look at, you know, when you look at this roster from top to bottom right now, uh, the 40 man who, you know, who were predicting to be on the uh, 26 man roster to start the season. When you look at that from top to bottom, you say, well, you know, you've got a bunch of guys who are going to be on the bench some days. I, I mean, almost the rest of the guys who are going to be on the bench some days who can easily start that day because they started the night before and they're starting half the games. You're going to have guys, you're going to get in there every night like Yaz. I mean, that's going to be a no brainer. You're going to get Yaz in there every night. You're going to get Solano in there almost every night. Listella is going to find a spot in the lineup somewhere almost every night, but then you're going to have, you know, the roughs and the Flores and you're going to be mixing and matching. So it's going to be a really strong team from top to bottom, very uh, consistent team. You're not going to miss anything by saying, well, you know, we're going to give this guy a rest tonight. Here's our bench player who hits, uh, you know, 210 and, 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 you know, whatever, whatever happens, happens. We're just giving our guy a night off. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be, we're giving this guy a night off, but this guy's plugging in and he can help us win a ball game. So I think they've done a really, really good job of building the roster that way. So yeah, like you said, they will steal a couple of wins there just by doing that. And, and I don't know if it would be exhausting that early in the season, because you're going to have guys who, instead of playing nine innings, seven nights in a row, and then getting a night off they're going to be playing seven days in a row you know maybe uh, six innings this night and five the next and then nine and then four and then nine and then so uh, they may even be more rested than they would have been to well, be it, it, may, it may be a mental exhaustion right yeah you're used to playing baseball a certain way and you're used to getting those four at bats to get really comfortable on that day and really now you're only getting two there's a mental frustration that could i think come with that that you know what you're right a hundred percent on that because you do like to get into a rhythm and if you got three hits the night before and you're sitting the next day that's yeah. not going to work I mean you remember Bochi used to do that all the time <laughs> if you were a bench player and you got three hits the night before you were playing the next day he'd find a spot for you in the lineup you're hot ride the hot bat because yeah. you know baseball is mental it is a very heavy heavy mental game and if you're in a zone you are in a zone and nobody wants to take you out of that zone especially the manager 
All right, we're going to come back uh, at the end of the show and we're going to talk about positional battles. We promised that last week. Rather than do all of them, we're going to break it down. We're going to start very slowly this week. We're going to talk about catcher. And that that's a pretty easy posi- position battle. Some would say there's not really a battle, but we'll, we'll break down sort of the depth and stuff. Um, but uh, we'll do infield maybe next week and then outfield uh the week after but really with this team like we talk about positional battles a lot of times the guys who start aren't going to be the ones who finish and then if you have a left-handed pitcher and then a right-handed reliever comes in like that changes things and so it's just there you know it's a positional battle in the sake of you know maybe who's going to be there and starting you know starting series or in the opening day but at the end of the day, I think, you know, these guys are going to get so much usage out of their entire roster. Okay, so we'll save that. Let's hit the uh, spring training news and notes segment, and uh, we'll hand it off to Brad. All right, so a couple things came out, and, and again, last time we recorded a show, pitchers and catchers had not even reported yet. Position players had not reported. Since we've done our last show... We've had all that happen. So it's been awesome. I've been all over the web. Uh, if you go to the San Francisco Giants YouTube channel, uh, daily they're showing like about an hour and 15 minutes of um, of workouts. So you get to see guys take BP. Today got to see uh, Marco Luciano take some ground balls at shortstop. That was exciting. If you're, if you're a baseball fan, you know how you know you can tell if you're a baseball just nut. The difference between a fan and a nut is you're watching Marco Luciano take ground balls at shortstop (laughs) during practice on February 22nd. So that's how you know you're like a little bit too into this. So um, that's kind of how we've always been here and and will always be that way. So thanks for joining us and sharing in our our weirdness with all this, but we love it. So, but uh, what about Buster Posey taking hacks from the left side? Oh yeah, that was fantastic. (laughs) They put that up on Twitter yesterday and, and you know, the Twitter verse went insane with Buster Posey taking some left-handed swings. I I thought everyone did that I would do that if the coach yeah. wasn't watching. No, yeah, and you know what? I used to do that in wiffle ball, and uh-huh. nobody needs to see that from me. I was a <laughs> right-handed batter, and when I'd go up there left-handed, it was just like every will, every every swing looked like Will Clark's swing, <laughs> but not not even one <laughs> fraction of a thousandth of as pretty as his swing. So yeah, but no, he looked like a natural up there. I mean, he's swinging left-handed, but you know, when you get to that level, you could probably swing you know left, right, and it's not going to matter in the cages. So, um, but yeah, just taking a look at a couple of things. So, uh, Berger, one of our, one of our relievers came in, they thought at first he had a a shot to be a closer and now they're kind of kicking around the idea of maybe being a starter. Um, he came to the brass and said, look, you know, I've been working hard, stretch me out a little bit. I would love to help this club as a starter. Um, and Kapler said, hey, he's earned it. You know, he's done everything we've asked of him in the offseason. Had a great uh, season out of the bullpen last year. And he's done everything we've asked. And uh, so, yeah, let's give him a shot. Now, that being said, taking a look at the starters that we have on the roster right now. Uh, stay with me here. Cueto, Wood, Gossman, DeSclafani, Beatty, Sanchez, a uh, new sign, Yamaguchi, a new sign, possibly Berger, 
possibly Tropiano. Wandy Peralta has started some games. So those are your guys fighting for five or six spots. Um, BD will probably, and I think he actually did already get, oh, and I, I forgot Logan Webb and Logan Webb as well. I was going to say, I probably, I'm probably going to forget somebody. But uh, 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 BD, I believe, is starting on the 60-day DL. Uh, so he's not really a factor yet, but he could be ready. Uh, a couple couple of um actually you know what i don't believe he did get put on the on the 60 day i'll have you look that up while i talk um all right but anyways those are all your starters right there and they're going to be battling for five or six spots so throwing barriger in there yeah maybe um you know, we're going to talk about the Aaron Sanchez signing. We didn't talk about that last time because that happened after. And Shun Yamaguchi, we'll throw those in there as well. Uh, talk about those two guys. Um, and then a couple other things like we hit on it a little bit. Listella uh, possibly hitting leadoff. He's a guy who walks uh, way more than he strikes out. So that's a, a good spot for him maybe to kick off at. Uh, so you've got a, a leadoff man on Listella, and then Yaz second or third. So if you go Yaz third, you could do Solano second. Those are three guys right there that get on base a lot make solid contact and you can be putting the opposing pitcher in trouble right off the bat, right at the start of the game, first inning. Uh, so that would be a nice one, two, three. So one of the best one, two, threes we've had in a while, I would think if they went that route, um, so those are kind of the things that have been coming out of spring training so far. There's going to be a lot more as we go along again, position players just reported today. Uh, so as we go here, the next two, three, four days, by the time we come back on for another show, there's going to be even more to talk about. Uh, so we are very, very excited. What did you think about them basically cutting Trevor got now with last year, we were not got fans. I think we, we created the headline Trevor got, got, got. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, 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 I was a little surprised, I would say, because I thought that they would utilize him and not put that pressure on him to pitch late innings. I thought, man, maybe he'd be, you know, like a, like a middle reliever guy where, cause he's got, he's, he throws hard. And he's been effective in the big leagues before. And so I was like, wow, they actually let him go. Yeah, that was kind of a surprise because they did uh, offer him arbitration. He agreed. Uh, So he was basically signed. So he's been DFA'd uh, for the spot for Aaron Sanchez. Um, You know, it it was a bit of a shock. But then I, I started looking and I looked at the 40 man. And I was trying to think who else. I mean, Connor Menez, maybe, but he's a lefty. Uh, and then the other name that I was looking at on here, uh, you know, and I, I can't even think of it right now. And that 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 tells you right there that tough decisions uh, for any of these guys to say that. Well, you know, one of these guys. Well, Wandy Peralta is another one, uh, but again, a left-hander and left-handers. You kind of want to hold on to those guys, especially if they're effective and 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 good for you. Uh, so Trevor got just got got by all the right-handers <laughs> that they signed, and I think okay. That but was here's kind of, here's the yeah. move, which is what you had asked me to look up. Uh, they could have put. BD on the 60 day, right? They could have, but the, the, 
problem with that, then you're almost out at that point of options to say, okay, now if one of these non-roster guys, you know, uh, like Yamaguchi, they signed to a minor league deal. If he makes the club out of spring and they need him as a sixth starter, then you've got to add him to the 40 man. At that point, they've got Beattie in their back pocket to say at that point, now we put Beattie on the 60 day DL. And I think they're hesitant to put Beattie on the 60 day DL. So I was wrong. So, so Beattie is not on the 60 no. day. They, they talked about it. And so I'll read from yeah. uh, Alex uh, Pavlovich's article. Uh, and I, I don't know when this was a couple days ago, maybe I know it was yesterday. Uh, so he said that, um, so this is related to the got thing and the giants had already cleared one 40 man spot. Like you said, but with Brebbia, they put him on the 60 day, uh, as he rehabs from Tommy John and they could have done the same thing with Tyler Beatty, who was also recovering from elbow reconstructive surgery. But Zadie said the front office felt it was too soon to go that route with Beatty, who was throwing well in camp and could be back in May or June. Yeah, and that's a, that's a back pocket one. So I think that's why they had to look at God at this point and say, you know what, let's try to sneak him through, try to sneak him through waivers, hope everybody, you know, the other teams are thinking, well, you know, he kind of blew it last year, didn't have the, the intestinal fortitude to be a closer, so we don't want to pick him up. Let's let him just kind of go through Um and that, so, so one thing I did read today is that they are hoping he does kind of sneak through waivers mm-hmm. and then they can kind of stash him back in AAA minor league deal at that point. Then if he makes the team out of spring, then they say, okay, now BD goes on the DL. We're going to add him, everybody else. I mean, there's a lot of movement that's, movement that's going to happen because if the Giants do want to go with six starters, uh, I mean, they could have them on the 40 man right now. But it's looking more like they've got four, possibly five for sure on the 40 man right now. So they need that one extra spot if they want to go with the six man rotation. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of moving parts, a lot of decisions that have to be made. Uh, Outfielder, young guy, Alexander Canario. um, He's only 20 years old, but he uh, also is a candidate for the 60 day DL and he's on the 40 man as well. So so you've got two guys that you can look at, too. Um, And it's it's just mind boggling to think we're, we're only in February, but there's already so many decisions that need to be made. But once the games start this coming Saturday, very exciting, uh, then then we'll start to kind of see some things play out. And unfortunately, guys are going to get hurt during spring. That just happens all the time. So there's going to be other guys that may go on a 60-day DL. Let's hope that is not the case. There's going to be other guys that just implode and blow up and just aren't ready. And, and then they won't be making the team out of spring and whatnot. So. All right. So... Um did you want to talk a little bit about uh, Sanchez and uh, Yamaguchi, the deals that happened? So I laughed because anytime we get a guy with the last name of Sanchez, I think about Jonathan Sanchez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How can and, you then, and then I think about good Sanchez and bad Sanchez, and there's other nicknames that go with the name Sanchez. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's interesting, like when they do signings like this, it's it's all about what the ceiling is for this player, right? That's that's generally what when the Giants are making deals like this that are not like 
you know, multi-year deals with guaranteed X, Y, and Z money, you're sort of taking a shot at the fact that the guy can reach an apex with you that maybe he he hadn't reached or maybe he reached it once and you're looking more for the ceiling of the player. So how do you think Sanchez fits in? Uh, you know, it seems like they want him to be a starter, uh, but, you know, it's not like he hasn't had chances other in other places, right? Like he's been around for a little bit. Um, but yeah, overall, like what did you think about the signing? So when I first saw it, <clears throat> I remembered the good Sanchez, mm-hmm. right? Not the good Jonathan Sanchez, but the good Aaron Sanchez, right. who we just signed. 2016 is his ceiling. So it's safe to say, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but it's safe to say his ceiling is a Cy Young Award winner. I mean, that that could be his ceiling. I'm not, I'm, and I'm definitely not saying that's going to happen this year. The, the, the chances of that happening are slim. But in 2016, he led the league with a 3.00 ERA, and he was 15-2 and two for the Toronto Blue Jays. 192 innings. He only gave up 0.7 home runs per nine. That also led the league. His walks per nine were three. His strikeouts per nine were 7.5. Not outrageous. So his strikeout to walks was uh, 2.56. Again, not outrageous, not fantastic, uh, but very good. And then from there, it progressively got worse. So his ERA the next year went up to 4.25, then 4.89, then 5.89 in 2019, where he split between Toronto and Houston. So he's had some blister problems. He missed 2020 uh, with a labrum issue, had surgery, so he missed the entire season. So this is not necessarily your typical new Giants reclamation project. Mm-hmm. Usually the Giants reclamation projects for pitching are two years ago, he had a great season, mm-hmm. then fell off last year. Let's get him to a minor league deal and boost him up. This is a five years ago and labrum surgery reclamation project, Mm -hmm. but they do see something in him because they gave him a one year, $4 million deal that can escalate. Uh, I think it can almost double from what I remember reading. Um, I would assume that's awards and all kinds of milestones hit and whatnot. So I'm not as ridiculously excited about this signing as most people are um, because I see his best season five years ago, but his best season was very, very good. And his seventh in Cy Young Award uh, voting in 2016. So it's not, it's not too far off to say that he can be a fantastic pitcher. He can be a, you know, 3.6, 3.8 ERA guy. He can get you 13, 14 wins if he gets, you know, if we go with a five-man rotation and he can pitch that many innings. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I like it. I'm not as wild about it as everybody else. He's got a career um, four in walks per nine. That's that's a little high for a starter. Um, so his control issues are still there. Uh, but it, but again, I mean, 
at the price of DF- DFAing Trevor got and then giving him $4 million. <laughs> I'll take a flyer on it. I like it. Uh, it's, you know, he has a potential to be a number one. And so anytime you can see that and say, well, we've got the the pitching coaches and we've got the technology, you know, like the, uh, like the $6 million man, we can rebuild him. So let's, let's see if the giants have have what it takes to do that. Yeah, his his baseball reference is ridiculous because yeah. he comes into the league in 2014, throws 33 innings, all in relief, 14 hits in 33 innings. <laughs> And then uh, ERA 1.09. The following season, he starts 11 games uh, and comes in relief in uh, in 30 games. And even I think he finished four games, 92 innings, 74 hits. So you're just like, oh, my God, like this guy has stuff because, you know, he's not he's not even given up a hit an inning. And then, and then you mentioned 2016, where he's an all-star, seventh in the Cy Young voting in the American League. And then all of a sudden, the wheels just fall off. And he starts uh, 20 games in 2018. Uh, he starts 27 games in 2019. And, it, and his record in 2019 is the inverse, almost exactly, of what it was in 2016 when he was 15-2. He's 5-14 and 14 for that entire year. And, and you, you've already mentioned this, so I'm not repeating. I mean, I'm kind of repeating you, but it, it, not knowing him very well, not following the Toronto Blue Jays, um, if you just look specifically at his statistics... What it looks like is his strikeouts are pretty much the same. It's the hits and the walks that have gone up over our, over the last five years. And so what that tells me is, um, as Janet Jackson would say, control. <laughs> Just celebrated its 35th anniversary. I saw that. I meant to. And and speaking of that, when I do dishes tonight, I'm going to put on that album because I haven't listened to it in a very long time and I forgot about that. But But you're right. The control issue. Because here's the thing, too. When you look at his numbers, he's not necessarily a strikeout guy. Uh, He doesn't give up a lot of hits, but he also doesn't strike out people at an enormous rate. I mean, his, no, his strikeout. He's, yeah, he's seven, you know, seven, five, seven, nine. But it, but it's been it looks like it's repeatable no matter how well he does. Like that is right. a repeatable thing to him is to get right in that seven, eight range. But the walks just went from in, in his in his uh, in his great season. Three. And then it went up to five and five, and it's hovered in the high fours pretty much since then. So, you know, whatever happened with that, I'm wondering if that's what the Giants see as the fixable thing. It's like, okay, why why did did he start walking more guys? Why was he giving up more hits? As he supposedly, right, when you're 22-23... You're kind of at the beginning, and as you get to 24, 25, 26, you should be becoming a better pitcher, but that's when he fell off. 
Yeah, and and now he's 28, and during the season, he's going to turn 29. Uh, But yeah, like you said, you're right. I mean, he was a first-rounder. I mean, he was 35th or 34th in the 2010 draft. Um, A first-round guy. He's got first-round talent. You saw that in 2016. But but yeah, like you said, the, the Giants pitching staff, I'm sure they saw something that they said, you know what? This secondary pitch can be better. This uh, tertiary pitch can go out the window. We need to just go with like three or four pitches um, that you're strong with and that that you can locate. Because again, when you're a guy that doesn't strike out a lot of people, but you also don't give off a lot of hits, that, that tells me also you're a pitch to contact guy. If you're a pitch to contact guy and you miss your spot, you're supposed to throw on the inside corner of the plate and it leaks out over, you're going to get tattooed. Yeah. And I think that's how, because you look at the home runs per nine, it went from 0.7 to 1.5 back down to 0.9 and then 1.4, 1.2, 2.4. So, I mean, it just rose and rose and rose and rose. So, yeah, I mean, the Giants pitching staff, they can work with that type of stuff. They're the pitching coaches. They can work with that. They'll find you the pitches that you're confident with and they'll work those pitches hardcore. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, it is exciting, but I didn't see that signing and say, yeah, we got a 15 and two, 3.00 ERA pitcher, but I still, I'm, I still have a lot of promise. I still with, with what the, with Bannister and Bailey and, and now JP Martinez, these guys can just, they can work magic. You saw it with Gossman. You saw it with Smiley last year. I mean, they, they can do it. So, you know, I'm pretty excited. All right. We have two more segments left, and we've already gone a little bit longer because of the interview. So let's quickly wrap this show up. You had a question that you wanted to ask me about a specific player. You wouldn't tell me what it was, so I have to like be on on my toes here. Well, you know, talking about... Okay, so around the... Uh, trade deadline this year. And so we'll, we'll go into this much, much later in the season. It's going to be a season long thing because are the Giants going to contend? Are they not going to contend? Uh, what is July 31st going to look like this year for us? We don't know yet. We're, we're not sure. But we do know this is the final year of Brandon Crawford's contract. This is probably the final year of Buster Posey's contract. Yep. This is definitely the final year of Brandon Belt's contract. Okay. So of those three guys, they're, they're kicking around the idea. Uh, you know, the media is saying, well, you know, let's start saying goodbye to these guys because we probably won't see them. We probably won't be contenders. Uh, July 31st is going to hit. These guys are probably going to be gone. And I, and I know your answer to this, but I want to hear your explanation. I want you to tell the listeners what this person means to you okay. and has meant to you uh, since he came on the scene, uh, was it 2011? Um, so tell us, of those three guys, who would you absolutely be most devastated with? Okay, so we're talking... Belt, Crawford, and Posey. Yeah, and Posey most likely won't get traded. Uh, I think he has a full no-trade clause. He's not going to want to go anywhere else. Maybe. I don't know. I, I uh, Atlanta. I mean, he's from Georgia. If Atlanta came knocking and wanted him, uh, maybe. Uh, but, but of those three, let's say. Okay, so uh, I'll quickly explain the origin story of the Brandon Belt love. It 
stemmed from very early in his career. He would go on these crazy hot streaks, just like hit a home run in like four games in a row. Then he would like strike out like eight times in a row after that. Like you couldn't even really tell. Like you're like, wait, this game, like you look so great. And then the very next game, like you couldn't hit the ball. Like so he's, uh, you know, good belt versus bad belt. Like everyone loves good belt. <laughs> but I feel like bad belt just is despised by the uh, the Giants fan base. So. Basically, I was I, not, I not like me. Him. I no. like him all. I like him in any belt. I'm fine with him all around. But I know what you mean. I see on Twitter the absolute hate for him over the years when he was on a cold streak. And so and so what happens is, is belts, uh, his statistics that go just beyond home runs and RBIs and strikeouts. What you found out is that he got on base and some people would say, oh, yeah, you know, he gets on base. But, you know, there's opportunities for him to go out of the strike zone in the ninth inning and he's taken that walk and then we lose the game because the next guy who's a worse hitter than him doesn't, you know, it can't can't, you know, get the hit to drive the team. So this is kind of like it was a it was a very unfair thing from the expectation. And it was because of expectations. Everybody, when he came up, they expected him to be like the next 30 home run guy. And that just wasn't his game. And so lots of just negativity and frustration. And I liked him. I thought he was a good player. And I liked him also because defensively, I I just thought he was awesome defensively. So what I did is I started to, um, I think I just started calling him handsome Brandon Belt. (laughs) And, And look, you know, that is a subjective thing. Like to his wife, he is the most handsome man in the world, but he is not like Hollywood handsome, right? He is yeah, not. But but you're also you're a, you're a big fan of wrestling. So calling somebody handsome, like <laughs> handsome Brandon Belt, that's that's totally and completely normal in the, in the wrestling world because that could be somebody's name, for them, you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. But but I was I was having fun with it, right? Because I liked him. And I would see that people would just be so frustrated with him. So I made it kind of my deal to where uh, whenever, you know, whenever he would come up or or whatever, uh, I just made the, I would just make the joke that, oh, handsome, handsome. It's, it's, it's handsome guy. Or uh, what did I, I forget, I forget. There were, there were some other things that the handsome one or whatever. But so what I did is I had my, um, my cousin's husband, uh, he does a lot of art for me. And so I had him put Brandon Belt's face on some very memorable pictures. And so uh, there was uh, there was one of um, uh, of him as uh, John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever. Uh, there's one uh, of him as uh, Tom Cruise from Top Gun. Yeah. Um, there's one of him uh, as uh, Brandon Walsh with Kelly Taylor and Beverly Hills 90210. And so I just kept doing this. And, you know, what we have on for this podcast is we have a Facebook group. We also have a Facebook page. And I used to use that way more than I do now because I, I like the group thing better. And that's where I would post all of those uh, all of those photos just over and over and over. Um, and so the the other one was um, uh, 
Brandon Belt as uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller cover. Yeah, like the, isn't there one on on uh, Schwarzenegger? Uh, no, no, no. It's, it's a, it, it, it was it's an old uh, pro wrestling guy. Oh, okay, right. yeah, where he's like shirtless and stuff. And but, that's that's your your uh, fantasy baseball profile picture, which I love. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. It, it was it was very much a like we're we're a little hard on this guy and he's actually a good player, and it was also like look like we can actually have fun with this dude because he is a goofy dude right he's like oh, six yeah. foot five with uh, size eighteen shoes and like I just mean, a baby baby giraffe is his that, nickname that's what they I called mean, him yeah. when he yeah. first came up so um, so yeah so that's why I mean you know I really liked him as a player but it was also like I'm gonna defend this guy and I'm gonna make it fun and we're gonna have like all these conversations uh, you know about and I'll try to make it a thing like you know it's you know it's sort of like a meme in a sense right. Um, and so the, the hashtag that I would use on these photos, which I don't really use anymore, was uh, hello, ladies, with uh, <laughs> Brandon Belt's face, you know, and that was kind of the thing. So uh, so that, yeah, I, I just have uh, I, I will always be a fan of his. And I just think he was he's, he's going to be an underappreciated guy. I think a lot of these guys will be underappreciated. Uh, you know, as time goes on, because, you know, we, we, we have this we've we've had star power, right? We've had Will Clark. We've had Barry Bonds, Madison Bumgarner, Tim Linscombe. We know what stars are like, but it's those other guys who are maybe a, a little below them who kind of get underappreciated. And Brandon Belt's statistics are not going to get him into the Hall of Fame. But there's going to be some think pieces in 10 years going like, you know, if Brandon Belt didn't play at uh, AT&T, instead he played in Yankee Stadium, he would have hit, you know, 28 home runs a year. There's going to be stuff like that. But overall, it's just it's having fun with him and just sort of defending him in a, in a fun way. And and so let's say all three of them get traded. Mm -hmm. Would he be the one that you miss the most? <sighs> For the fun of it, yes. From a player standpoint, it would definitely be Posey just because I think Posey, you know, when it comes to retiring and when it comes to if he does make the Hall of Fame, he's going to wear the Giants hat. I think Posey's the easy answer, but just like for my own fun and for my own fandom, but definitely Belt. If, if you want to see the Giants fan base just beat each other up and blow up, Brandon Bale had a fantastic season last year. Oh, yeah. If he has anything close to that all the way up until July 31st and then gets traded, the where were you all along Brandon Belt <laughs> stuff that's going to be on Twitter will absolutely blow your mind. I mean, so it, it's unfair. just going to be a place you may not want to hang out. So, yeah, yeah. so unfair. <laughs> I know. It's going to be so unfair. But, you know. The guy's not, you know, the guy's in on the joke, right? He's, yeah, he's made a lot of money playing baseball for the most part. You know, these are like the hardcore Internet fans who sort of react this way. I think, you know, I, I would think he would consider himself, you know, a, a beloved player by the by the franchise and the fan base. And the other thing is, is this is what the Giants are great at in 10 years and 15 years after he's retired. 
he's going to come back and they're going to welcome him back and they're going to put his, you know, thing, uh, you know, not they won't retire his number, but he'll be in that little, you know, that wall or whatever. And so that that stuff will be fun. And, you know, that that'll make me feel really old. But uh, that stuff will happen. And, and, it's, and, you know, this is a franchise. This is a good franchise to have a good career with because they will continue to celebrate you and the fans will welcome you back every single time. I mean, he won two rings with the Giants. I mean, he's he's already cemented. It's he doesn't even have to have a good season this year. He could play like garbage and get and not get traded and finish out a season and 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 be done and move on. And he's still uh, it will be in that lore forever. So yeah. Uh, okay, let's quickly look at the catchers for the Giants, and then and then we'll be done with this show. I apologize a little bit for the length, but we wanted that interview. And, you know, I think I thought it was a good interview to play. So uh, hopefully you're still listening at this point. But (laughs) let's talk about the catching position. Now, uh, obviously, Buster Posey, I think the hope is probably that Buster catches about 60 percent of the games or so. Uh, He, you know, he is coming off of the uh, the hip surgery. He had he had the opportunity to not play last year. So. Hopefully that's like another year of rehabbing and making sure that he's feeling good. And so he's the starter. He's the A1. He's going to play as many games behind the dish as he wants or as they let him. And then, like Ash's, uh, Ash's article mentioned, he'll, he'll play uh, a few games at first base too. I look at the backup catchers. On the Giants roster right now, the backup catchers are Chadwick Tromp, who we got to see last year. He became a little bit of a fan favorite for us on this podcast. Uh, Kurt Casale, who they just signed earlier this year. And then there's always going to be Joey Bart, who we believe starts the year at AAA. Who, like, how, how are they going to handle this Casale and, and Tromp situation? Well, you know, this just came out today and I had not seen this before, but Kurt Casale, when they were in negotiation and and when they had um, pretty much come to an agreement on a deal, they knew that he had a ham eight bone injury. If you know what that is, that's the one that Pablo had on both, both hands. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, Pablo will bring both of them. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. And, and, and you can't swing a bat. So uh, Casale, they, they decided you're going to have the surgery. This was in December. It's a six-week recovery. So we're coming up pretty close to when he should be able to start swinging a bat again. Um, Plus, he's got another month to get into, uh, you know, baseball um, game shape and whatnot. So that being said... There's a good chance Trump and Casale could go down to the wire. Now, Casale's on a major league deal, one year, $1.5 million. Trump is also on a major league deal, one year, $583,000. Um, and if Trump plays in the minor leagues, it's like $150K or something like that. So it's good insurance because this allows them to not rush Bart like they had to do last year with no posy, you really didn't have a choice. You uh, vote went, uh, to Arizona. Um, you know, they just, they just didn't have that backup at that point. Uh, other than that in the minor league system, they got Joey Bart and they got Patrick Bailey. Patrick Bailey's not ready. I mean, he's still 21 years old, so he's still got to be probably going to be in San Jose. 
Yeah, he's going to be in San Jose. He's got a ways to go. So he's pretty much out of the picture. So yeah, so so having Casale and Trump kind of battling it out this spring, it's going to be Trump in the lead to start because he's going to get those those other um, those other games that uh, that Posey won't get. Now Patrick Bailey is a uh, non roster invitee. Yes, so he's also going to get some starts. Um, also with Ricardo Genove, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's Italian or French. I don't really know. Uh, but, but those guys are going to get some starts. Uh, Casale, when he comes along, then they're probably going to say, okay, Patrick Bailey, thank you for your service. Head on back down, uh, get your ABs in the minor league camp. And then once minor league start, you're good to go, but it's going to be Trump out of the gates. Um, Trump started out pretty hot with us, uh, really slowed down the last part of the season, uh, was sent down to the um, alternate site, and but they thought enough of him to go ahead and sign him to a major league day deal in the off season, which I thought was fantastic for him. The guy's worked hard. He's, he's come up through the ranks. Um, so yeah, so I, I say Trump out of the gate, but most likely it's going to be Casale. Casale has 328 games in the major leagues and Trump has uh, 24. So that tells <laughs> you right there, uh, you know, you, you're, you're going to want to have that experience, especially if you're going with a five, uh, with a six man pitching rotation, a lot of veterans. They're going to want a guy who's got a lot of experience back there, and that's what you're going to get with Casale. So uh, that would be my 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 front runner going into April as your backup catcher. I was wondering, and, and I actually don't know this, and it's not it fielding statistics are actually hard for me to comprehend when it comes to like your baseball reference and stuff. Now the giants, they did something last year that even Buster Posey is going to have to get better at as far as framing pitches. And like they had this new way of framing pitches. Uh, And is Casale known as like um, a, a solid defensive player. I don't know what his arm is like, Uh, but the giants, historically with Posey behind the dish, that's like a plus because he is so good at so many things back there. And I just don't know what Casale's rep is as a player. You know, I don't know that. I have not seen that anywhere. And uh, I do. One, one thing I did see about Posey, though, is he was very, very open to learning the new framing techniques and uh, some different things. He, he pretty much said in an interview in the offseason, if it is going to help this team win, I will do it. I will do whatever it takes. Um, he, he's always been a team player, so we don't have to worry about that. Uh, but I'm not sure with Casale uh, and and his um, his his framing techniques and and his prowess. Uh, but but I guarantee you, the Giants wouldn't have talked to him and signed him if he wasn't on board with that and and wasn't ready to learn it and uh, advance his career in in that way. Because yeah, like you said, I mean that that started coming out a lot last year on Twitter uh, on fan graphs. You started seeing a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the framing frequency and, and the framing percentage of winning frames and, and whatnot. So it's kind of a, a, a new thing that's starting to uh, happen in terms of stats for that. So that, that's kind of that's kind of cool because you do see guys frame pitches and you go, oh, what? Uh, oh, we got the strike. All right. Cool. So I, I like it until we get the robotic umps. It's going to be there. 
The the reason why I brought that up is because I think I saw a stat that the Giants catchers were actually worse than replacement level last year. Now, Posey comes back, that's a that's a shot in the arm for the Giants. Um and, and that that changes things immediately. Just be, just even even if he doesn't hit at all, just because he's so good defensively and he's so smart and he's like a second coach out there that they'll 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 be much better. But I don't know, you know, when he is off the if he's off the field, we know Trump played Trump played, you know, not half, not quite half the season last year, but he played in, in a good number of games. Joey Bart played in a good number of games. We sort of know what that was like last year. And I think when Posey comes off the field, we have to have better than what we had last year. Definitely for uh, for for that position. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and again, another season. Um, it's just, you know, it's just an advancement. So having having Posey back in camp, you can't really put a number on it. You can't put a you can't really put a value on that. I mean, having a former National League MVP, a three time World Series champ, somebody who has handled some of the best pitchers in the game, uh, that that automatically elevates your 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 entire catching uh, core to to probably top five, I would say, in in Major League Baseball, uh, just with him. So it, it's exciting to have him back, and it's exciting to see what he'll do with this new um, coaching staff. Remember, he 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 played about what it was it two weeks, three weeks, maybe with the uh, with this coaching staff in the spring last year before uh, they shut it down, and then he called it quits for the season. So he said, "I'm excited to be here. I'm excited." And he's been you know in contact with Kapler during the off season, and Kapler is very excited to have him and his uh, veteran presence in, in in the dugout. So. All right. Well, that'll do it for here. Next week, we'll go over some of the infield positions when it comes to the depth and possible positional battles. There wasn't really a positional battle here for catcher unless something's wrong with Posey. And then there's going to be a crazy positional battle. Just cross your fingers. Just make sure. (laughs) (laughs) The one constant is back. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But we'll do infield next week and probably do outfield the following. But uh, yeah. Thanks for hanging with us. I know it was a little bit of a long show. Hopefully, you got a nice mix of different things Giants-related. As you can tell, Brad and I are pretty fired up for uh, baseball being back. Uh, If you can't tell, then uh, maybe we need to dial it up even more next week. (laughs) But, uh, But yeah, so we'll be back next week. So for Brad, I am Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out. Peace.